The views expressed on this show by guests and the host on issues outside of the 9-11 controlled demolition evidence are the opinions of those individuals alone and do not necessarily reflect those of our contestant engineers for 9-11 Truth. Freefall. I'm the host, Andy Steele. Today, we're joined by Tony Zambodi. Tony is a mechanical design engineer with over 30 years of experience. That's in aerospace and communications industries. He's a member of AE 9-11 Truth, and he was involved in the Remember Building 7 campaign and was on national television, if you remember, with Bob McElvain back in 2010 to talk about the controlled demolition evidence. Uh, he also appears in such documentaries as 9-11 Explosive Evidence Experts Speak Out, Seven, and The Unspeakable, among many others. And I always like having Tony here on the show, so let's go ahead and add him in. Tony, welcome back to 9-11 Freefall. Yeah, hi, Andy. It's nice to be here. Yeah, so now we are on video, so it's we'll sort of like a reboot here, yeah. of the whole show. Exactly. Right. So uh, we just released a some footage of you from the unspeakable it's like the extended edition extra footage and it was uh, remarkable to listen to you talk about this just the way the cinematography uh was done in this film very professional and i, I think this is going to help get our message out and reach new audiences and every project we do gets bigger and better tell our audience as the guy sitting in the chair being interviewed what that experience was like for you I mean as far as being interviewed by Don Avery for that particular subject? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, I mean it's a subject I've been looking into for a while, so it wasn't to me it was I think Don does a very good job um, as an interviewer and uh, I guess call it a cinematographer or whatever it's called. Uh, I think he does a very nice job. I, I just talk it felt natural to me. How does, it, how does it feel, though, like when you first became an engineer, did you ever imagine that you would be a leading voice on a topic like this? I mean, it's sort of a rhetorical question. No, I bet no, you didn't no, imagine. Of course, no, but, of course I didn't. It, this, this wasn't something I looked to do or had any imagined in any way, shape or form that it would occur. And I don't consider myself anything other than somebody that's trying to say what I see to be reality that's not being recognized. Those buildings exactly. were demolished. Well, you know, the thing is, if, if, if there had never been any kind of organized effort among engineers to speak out about this issue, there would have been a lot of people who would have looked at World Trade Center 7, for instance, coming down. They, said, they would have said it looked funny, uh, but then it would have died right there because a lot of people wouldn't have had the knowledge base and therefore wouldn't have had the confidence to step forward, speak out about this issue, be able to cite the facts that you have contributed to as well as so many others. Uh, it's just really amazing, thanks to the power of the internet, that uh, so many people were able to get together 
right. and really really behind this issue. I mean, if 9-11 had happened back in the 80s or something, we would not have had a 9-11 truth movement. So thank you, Internet. They're trying to censor it now. Uh, it's harder to find 9-11 truth stuff, but we're fighting it. But uh, I think it's too late for them. Um, <clears throat> okay, so let's get a little bit into the evidence here and just talk a little bit about your story because you've gone toe-to-toe with uh, Zednik Bazant, not in, I don't think ever in person, but I... Oh, no, he never responds. He never responds. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't the, seem to like to hear from us. He's a Stonewall type guy. Well, he has no ch- He had, he can't respond. And, uh, you know, yes, uh, we wrote a, he, we wrote a paper discussion paper that you're aware of uh, refuting something that he published uh, in the Journal of Engineering Mechanics, and they refused to publish it, although they published another paper where the person claimed the South Tower was coming down at four times the rate of gravity. Well, you can't fall faster than gravity. (laughs) You can shoot something at a faster speed than gravitational acceleration, or you can't fall faster than that. Um, so, at any rate, they, they, uh, the Journal of Engineering Mechanics refused to publish our paper, but they published that right away. And, of course, when you have a discussion against the paper they published, the original author gets to respond, and they call that a closure, C-L-O-S-U-R-E. And Bazant wrote a closure. He had a field day refuting this guy, but then they kept our, our paper, which refuted him, and he apparently couldn't respond. It seems that way. Uh, they they actually said it was out of scope. I don't know how a paper can be out of scope that is a discussion of a published paper. By definition, that means it's in scope. <laughs> so that was their answer, and uh, that's being challenged. Well, it's out of scope of the story that they're trying to push on everybody. And actually, I was going to ask you, because you did publish the the paper, uh, The Missing Jolt with Graham McQueen, and it was refuting Bazant's analysis. He came up with that pretty quick, too, uh, pretty soon after September 11th. Um, no, no, the, it wasn't actually, Andy, it was not that. No, that was the 2000, late 2008 to 2009 before we... Uh, what happened there was uh, Graham McQueen was... Uh, <clears throat> measuring the antenna and uh, I, I part of a lot of my work has been involved with aircraft and uh, dynamics and I realized that uh, in order to get an amplified load you need to have an impulse and that would require a, a velocity reduction and uh, <clears throat> because and the reason you need an amplified load is because in any building the columns are designed to withstand several times the load above them at least two times in the case of the tower, because they were so tall, the exterior columns could take five times the, the actual gravity load that was on them, because they had to take seismic lateral loads, seismic and wind loads. So for just the gravity load, in that day there was no earthquakes and there wasn't a lot of wind. It was a fairly calm day, September 11, 2001. So uh, buildings are designed to take, uh, the columns are designed to take more than more than the actual gravity load on them. And it was five times for the exterior columns, about three times for the core columns. And the only way to defeat that is is when something, when you have an impulse, um, you have the static load plus an amplified portion. 
And the reason for that, just to, to, the way to explain that is uh, I, I use a, a, an analogy of a TV stand that can take a 200-pound load and the TV weighs 40 pounds. And if you just set the 40-pound TV on the stand, it's obvious it's not going to collapse. But if you take that TV and lift it four, five to six feet in the air and then drop it on it, you might imagine, just from your own life experience, that it could collapse. And the reason, the scientific reason for that is when it hits, if, if the stand has any weight, any stiffness to it, when it hits it, the TV decelerates much faster than the rate of gravity. You can decelerate faster. So gravity, uh, 1G deceleration is 32.2 feet per second squared. And suppose it decelerates it, uh, you know, the, the impulse only lasts milliseconds. So you can imagine it's easy. If it decelerates at 30 milliseconds, you're already at 30 Gs. Okay, so um, <clears throat> now you can see that what happens is you have the static load, which is mass times gravity. That's one times, that's the 40 pounds. Plus that 40 pounds times 30, that's 1,200 pounds. Now you can see how that TV would just smash through that stand. And that's what that's the amplified load you need. But the, what happens is deceleration causes a drop in velocity. You're transferring energy from kinetic to the impulsive or, or uh, destructive work that you're doing. So you have to lose velocity and that can be calculated. And Graham was measuring the antenna and I asked him to measure the roof line. So he did. And then I took that and did something called the derivative to see what the change in the velocity was. There wasn't it actually increased it kept increasing. Well, that's impossible if you have columns that can handle more than just the gravity load of the building, and then it's never decreasing in velocity. That means there was no there was no impulse. Something was actually removing the structural integrity below, and it was just falling through it because it couldn't even handle the static load. So that's what that's actually what had to be happening. And uh, David Chandler, the uh, physics teacher that's famous for proving that building seven came down free fall for at least the first two to two and a half seconds of its fall he also measured the roof line and and validated what Graham Graham's measurements and he, he actually charts it and he shows it's a continuous increase in velocity as it's coming down so that proves that it was not an impulsive load it was not a natural collapse and, uh, <clears throat> yeah, putting it in layman's terms, I mean, the top block cannot crush the lower block without at least slowing down. That's right. And, that's uh, exactly right. That's, that's, that's the easiest that's, way to put it. That's how the audience out there should put it to their friends when they're talking at the bar about this issue. I mean, it just defies common sense. Now, when I said came out with it quick, I'm talking about Bazant came out with his theory pretty quick. Well, two days uh, later, two days after yeah. the Two days after the collapses, he wrote a, yeah. uh, he sent a paper to the Journal of Engineering Mechanics. It was called a rapid, they mm -hmm. had the top of that a banner, rapid communication. And uh, <clears throat> pretty quick. Um, and, he, and, he, and in that paper, he tried to describe, say that it was an impulsive load. It was 30, 31 or 32 Gs. And I actually heard something on the radio or on TV today, a professor, and I believe it would have been Bazan, was saying that it was a 20 or 30 G load. Well, that made sense to me. 
But then years later, in 2007 or 8, when Graham was measuring the roof line, I asked him, I said, well, measure, after I had thought about things, and building seven and things like that, I said, measure the roof line. I want to see if this thing decelerates. And sure enough, it did. And then that led us off to writing paper showing it. Graham very cleverly called it the missing jolt, which is a inappropriate name. Because his aunt said in his paper there was a very powerful jolt, and jolt meaning an impulse, impulsive load. But there was no energy loss, no, no velocity change, therefore no energy loss, therefore there could not have been an impulsive load. And you can't defeat columns that can handle more load than what's above them without that amplified load. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is all common sense, and you say it very academically there uh, with all your engineering experience, but this is not well, so I just don't know how else to say it, Andy. You put it. No, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, no, but that, this is something that most people can identify with and uh, just intuitively know just from uh, living in the world, and yet this seems to go over the heads of people trying to argue with well, us. I mean, at the, the reason a glass breaks when you drop it, if you just set it on the table, it won't break. It's just a static load. When you drop it on the floor from three or four feet and it hits a hard surface, it's decelerating very quickly. And that means there's a lot more. Uh, if it decelerates at, at, at 322 feet per second, that's 10 Gs. So now it weighs the, 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 the mass. It acts like a... a that 10 G's plus the static load, like 11 times the mass of the glass. And then whoever hits it, there's mechanics involved, but it's experiencing 11 times its weight in force. And that's that's what breaks the glass. So, and well, what the gets me, here. Well, what gets me too is the fact that you have, you know, that you're talking about this pile driver, this top block, but this top block disappears in, in pretty fast. Well, that, you know, that too. That too, what, what actually happens is there's a couple interesting points here. We'll try to flesh them out. You can help me with your questions if you want. Sure. <clears throat> the North Tower, which is what we measured, uh, the aircraft hit between the 95th and 96th floor, like a 10.6 degree angle with the the uh, port wing. While well, I'm looking, let's see. You're looking at, at, at the building, it was the right wing was up and the left wing was down. And <clears throat> it went into the building and the right wing, maybe five to six feet of the right wing tip, hit the 98th floor. Because the nose hit the 95th between the 95th and 96th at a 10.6 degree angle, they say, a little over 10 degrees. And the right wing is up and the left wing is down. So I guess looking at the, I guess uh, the right, it was, it was like that. So. And to make a long story short, very little of the aircraft hit the 98th floor. But that's where the collapse started. In fact, so little of it hit there that NIST didn't even see fit to show any interior damage on the 98th floor in their report. But nevertheless, we get a collapse starting at the 98th floor, where there's no essentially no aircraft damage. And they say fire caused that. But then... On top of that, the next floor is to go after the 98th goes, where there's almost no aircraft damage. There is fire, but no aircraft damage. The 99th, 100th, and 100th and 1st go. And I have a theory about why that is. If it's a demolition and you had an aircraft impact and you knew that was going to happen, some of the charges in the aircraft impact area might have been disturbed. Well, how do you defeat that? Well, 
Now you want to have to generate some momentum to transfer to get through it. Have an impulse if you need it. And that's why I think those four floors above or so were basically destroyed so that upper eight stories could crush any stories that had some damaged or dis displaced explosives. And I think they were planted in the core of the building. And there's another well, thing, too. That anyway. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, I imagine that a lot of time and care was put into this operation. It's obviously something, if you're the orchestrator of this controlled demolition, you don't want to screw up. I mean, that would be... Right, right, right. Was, that, was, that was a safety measure. <coughs> Excuse me. That was a safe... That was a contingency measure is a better word for it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what was done because the aircraft might have displaced it. I tend to believe the aircraft were causal ruses. And uh, oh, the aircraft did it. Oh, it has to come down. Sure. Has that happened before? No. Up and up. So, um, at any rate, there's been aircraft have hit other buildings. They don't come down. Does some local damage. The um, <clears throat> there's another thing I was just trying to think of. Uh, we talked about the you know the fact that the the uh, oh well, how would the charges have been? have been planted. There's some interesting things to talk about there because I imagine people who've been looking into this know that there was uh, the biggest elevator modernization ever undertaken in the Twin Towers and that's that's known. It was in Elevator World Magazine in March 2001. They were right on the cover and it was a little known company doing it that uh, Otis who had designed the system lost the job I guess in the mid to late 90s to this elevator, a small elevator company named Ace Elevator. And that's curious because um, <clears throat> that's a pretty big job. And the two Twin Towers had 98, 99 elevators each. And so 198 altogether between the two buildings. And this small elevator company got that job. And uh, just to <laughs> something that sort of confirms that the suspicion there might have some merit is the Empire State Building which has a 67 elevator system, about 33% the size, a third the size of the, between the two towers. Um, there was an article in 2011, and there was an interview with them. Uh, they put an RFQ out uh, for elevator modernization of the Empire State Building elevator system, 67 elevator system. And uh, <clears throat> the construction manager is on record saying to an Associated Press reporter, um, that they only allowed Otis, Tyson Krupp, and Schindler to bid on the job because they felt only one of those three big companies had the expertise to handle a job of that magnitude and scope. Okay, so that's true. And I have a copy of that article, and other people have it also. So it, it, it's sort of disconcerting, maybe is the right word, that the... Uh, Port Authority in New York, New Jersey gave a job of the scope and magnitude of the Twin Towers of modernizing those elevator, those elevator systems to a small company named Big Elevator. But also, I have to wonder how they could beat out Otis. I mean, it wouldn't just be cost. There has to be expertise. I mean, you know, you have to be able to, you have to, the only people like the Empire State Building said the only people they felt that were capable of that job was those three. They wouldn't let, you know, some Tom, Dick, and Harry elevator shop 
bid on the job. But in the case of the Twin Towers, it seems like that was the case. And uh, you could plant charges in elevator shafts unobserved. So if I had to bet, I would say that's how they were. That's how it was done. That was a cover story for planting charges. Well, I'll tell you what. <clears throat> if and when this whole thing gets busted open and they're doing hearings on C-SPAN, and look, you got to visualize things uh, in order to make them happen. When they're doing hearings on C-SPAN, I will be glued to my chair, not just only because I've been involved with this for so long, but I want to hear exactly how they pulled this off. I want to hear every single detail right down to the right. uh, colors they were wearing. Well, um, there was <clears throat> obviously graft and bribery, things like that involved. I'm, I'm sure that this is what we're dealing with. It, it's a crime, and, and you know, people willing to commit crimes like that don't have any problems, with, I would think, with bribery or graft. I mean, so, you know, the towers were demolished, is what it, it certainly all the evidence points that way. And, exactly. Uh, now, I want to get back to the 98th floor for a second because, uh, you know, I had this in my notes. I've taken notes on this issue, and it's just this file that keeps on getting bigger and bigger. And the, that's great when you have a, a wealth of knowledge like that. However, what happens is you end up forgetting certain details and certain key points of evidence. And it just sort of jumped out at me a few weeks ago, the fact that this the only tip, uh, only the tip of the wing touched this 98th floor where the NIST says that That's this right. collapse initiated. Now, a lot of their story depends on fireproofing being knocked off, and how could this little tip knock off all the fireproofing? Well, that's right. That's, not, that's another side of it. And, and <laughs> it's right. That's a good point. Um, because the fireproofing that got knocked off, not only that, it's on the complete opposite side of the building from where the plane hit. The plane hit the north, the north side, but it was the opposite side where the collapse initiated, they said, the south side. And, you know, this the, the, it's, it gets a little bit complicated, not a lot, but you have to follow what I'm going to say. This, everything in this report is like anything else. Everything there is not garbage, okay? And I think the aircraft impact analysis has merit to it. And they show at different time frames what the speed of the debris was and the size of the debris field. And uh, don't forget, it has to get through the north side, then through the core, then to the south side, because there was four all around the core. There was a north, north, south, east, and west side. And the north and south side are 60 feet. So you travel through all that, then through 85 feet wide of the core and all these columns and and walls and things like that, all this debris has to travel through. And then supposedly, according to somebody's theory that I don't buy into, but they, they try to push it, the debris got to the south side and stripped off the fireproofing from the trusses under the floors. And then the fire was able to um, affect them, and heat them, and cause them to sag and pull the wall in. And that's supposedly, that's where this stops their analysis. They say that south wall, on the opposite side of the aircraft impact, sagged enough to collapse, and then that caused the other three walls to collapse. I don't get that either, because a channel is almost as stiff as a box, four-sided box beam. And 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 uh, the chief engineer on the towers, John Skilling, said you could take one wall and two corners, 
and it would still be able to take a 100-mile-an-hour wind because you had the other three sides. And the, the east and west walls there would give it a stiffness. That's what keeps it from turning. So it doesn't make sense, okay, unless you're not paying attention. And then just to get back to Professor Bazan, um, well, there's a, I could say one more thing about the aircraft impact that, that, that I think is accurate in this report. They tell you what the speed is. And they did some testing. They took a plywood box, like uh, maybe five or six foot wide, five or six foot deep and that high. And they put uh, the truss work in there with the uh, spray on fire resistant material. And they fired at it with a shotgun, probably a sawed off shotgun with a bunch of debris in it, metal debris, like nuts and bolts and things like that. And there was a misfire. It did knock it off when it was still 500 feet per second. There was a misfire. I don't remember the exact speed. It came, came down to like 31 meters or like 90 feet per second, and it didn't take any of the fireproofing off. Well, the debris isn't even moving that fast when it gets to the south side in the aircraft impact analysis. It's slower than their misfire. So, you know, that God works in strange ways type thing. Their misfire proves that along with the aircraft impact analysis that at that speed that their impact analysis shows it was doing it wouldn't remove that fire resistant material. So that's just another thing to add to the reasons for uh, doubting this entire story. It's just a lot of things. And what Professor Bizant did was to, <clears throat> he claims that, well, he, he has the, when he first starts falling he has a free fall right away, like there's a vanishing story Okay. Well, the 94 didn't get out of the way, even if it did collapse there. It would it would slowly collapse. It has to bend the columns. Now, he just mm -hmm. takes the columns out and has it in free fall. So, um, he also nearly doubles the mass because he used more floors and he used the maximum service load. Well, they weren't loaded to their maximum load. So, he used somewhere in one analysis, he used 54 million kilograms, another one 58. And in reality, it was 31 to 33 kilograms from the 98 floor up. So he almost doubles the mass. And then in free fall, it's moving. That would give you like 8.52 feet per, per meters per second squared. And when it's measured, you can even see the actual velocity is 6.3, 6.31. Well, in, a, in the kinetic energy equation, velocity is squared. So 8.5 squared is nearly double 6.3 squared. So he doubles the speed component, and he doubles the mass component. So now he's quadrupling the kinetic energy. He's making the kinetic energy four times greater than it actually is in this falling mass. And then on top of that, to collapse the columns takes work. You know, column standing straight, and you've got to bend it. You know, let's say this is a column, both of my arms. When you bend it down, that takes work to do that. And that's there's absorption, and you can you can determine and calculate what the absorption is of a certain size column. We know what's called the yield moment, the plastic moment. We can calculate that. The work that it takes to do that. Well, he underestimated that by at least three, and that isn't just shown by me. There's a, a, a PhD, well-known PhD named Gregory Zolodetsky in Australia, that uh, came to that conclusion. And I was worked with him on a paper along with Professor Richard Johns from the University at the time, the University of British Columbia. And we published that paper in a, in a journal in uh, Great Britain. Um, 
called the uh, Journal of Protective Structures, which is a dynamics journal. And we showed that he underestimated the column energy absorption by three. So he underestimates the ability of the columns to absorb energy. And then he quadruples the kinetic energy. And they multiply. That's not just additive. That multiplies. So it's four times three. So he, 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 by a factor of 11 to 12 times, increased the likelihood of collapse, is what Dr. Brazant did. That's what I've been challenging him on. And we showed that in a discussion paper that the Journal of Engineering Mechanics refuses to publish. Well, if you got to get them, if they get to the point where they're censoring, then uh, you've won to a certain extent. Obviously, you want it published and to have the information out there. It just, it, it's such a shame listening to you talk about this because your average person wouldn't pick up on all of these things that Bazant got wrong. I mean, there's the intuitive aspects, you know, the top block uh, can't crush the lower part without right. slowing down. People know that, but then there's these these details uh, that you get into that your average person is not going to know when they're recovering from 9-11, watching the television and some engineers coming on television and, and well, television. I can understand if you drop the glass on the floor and it just goes through the floor, something's wrong. That's sort of what was done. Right. And also, I mean, the concept that you can't fall, you know, unless you're shot out of a cannon or something straight down, you can't fall at four times the rate of gravity. Well, that was that how much you grind your teeth. Somebody and, that wrote a discussion paper was saying that, and it was silly. It was nonsense, right? You can't fall at faster than the rate of gravity. You can decelerate faster if you hit something and stop short. That's a different animal. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. But now, gravity can only accelerate you so fast. It's the rate of gravity in the free fall that has a limit. Yeah, Exactly. And something that I actually picked up on when I was writing the book was this idea that, and you can measure the energy that it takes. I'm not going to get into that here, but, uh, you know, for this concrete to turn into powder in midair and for all these steel members to shoot well, out I, different I, directions. I tend to shy away from that, Andy. And the reason I do is because it's hard to calculate. It's hard to calculate, but, 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 but my point is, though, this, and hear me out and tell me if this is valid, you know, just for the layman, you need a hard collision of building materials to create that kind of dust. And well, NIST admits that the buildings were falling, quote, essentially a free fall. So how do you, you've got a contradiction there. Well, you're saying that it's possibly explosives could have caused some of that. Well, it's not true. What, what I'm talking about is the columns would have to hit the columns. And the reason they would columns wouldn't be out of alignment. The floors aren't going to stop things. There would be pulverization in any, in any uh, collapse like that. I'm saying the columns would have been in the way. And and it wouldn't miss the columns because even with a little bit of tilt, the columns go and go out of alignment a few eighths of a, three eighths of an inch. Okay, even at one degree, even across that, they only drop back at one degree tilt like three eighths of an inch. And that's about all there was in the North Tower before it started falling completely. Um, and you have 73 million pounds of inertia, short of some massive lateral load, you know, with 5,000 mile an hour wind, that's not moving. It's gonna fall in place and the columns are gonna contact the columns. And um, that's what would stop it. Once it got going, because of whatever other reasons we were we were theorizing um 
you would you could have natural pulverization once it got going. Okay, so that that wouldn't all have to be explosive. It no, may, no, may, no, and no. I'm not saying it's not absolutely. It doesn't have to be, and I, that's why I shy away from it. The fact that it doesn't decelerate is, and, and they, would, they would be local collisions. You could have large beams, you know, hitting concrete floors, and, and the gypsum. It was a lot of gypsum, also. Don't forget that would crush up fairly quick. The gypsum in the wallboards. So that's why I, I personally try to stay away from that. You know, I don't. Uh, I just stay. I just try. I shy away from. Yeah, well, you know, because I, I had to uh, recreate the Bazant graph that he uses in his paper. And what gets me, and I think I said this a few weeks ago, <clears throat> is that in his uh, diagram, he shows this top block, and he shows it crushing down, and it goes all the way, and then it just sort of disappears, you know, on top of this rubble pile. Well, yeah, it's amazing what he said. He has, like, zones A, B, and C, A being the yep. top, and then that crushes a little bit, and you have this rubble layer of B. And that lets the top block block just right on top of it while the rubble layer does the job and knocks knocks layer C all the way down. I think I have right A, B, and C starting from the top. <laughs> you got to make layer B, and you need a deceleration to do that, and that's not happening. Well, plus it doesn't show what we show. It doesn't show what we saw actually happen in real life because the stop block disappears pretty quick in the, in the first well that's right and, and i told you the reason i think for that is they had yeah, to exactly. momentum to get through the stories where the charges might have been displaced doesn't appear at all who were but that's why that would have been done by criminal well you need a massive well, i was just gonna say you need a massive government cover-up to to make somebody who is this wrong on so many points, well, so respected, and I, I don't like to. I don't like to bash our government in a sense. I think there are some infiltrators, if you will. I mean, the government does good things, Andy. I, it's 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 hard for me to sit here and bash our government and say it's the whole government. That's part of it, okay. And there are people who infiltrate government that have control of certain certain areas, and they're not right. And I don't know why they're doing. It. I have an idea. Why, why it's not being revealed. And I think 9-11, unfortunately, was done for oil. And I'll say that on your show. If you want to cut it out, you can. But that's what I think it was done for. And the oil companies in our country have a lot of power. Have had yeah, it's unfortunate. And, and, of course, it's not the guy processing your Social Security check. No, right. And that's why I don't want people. Well, some people, you know, a broken clock can be right twice a day, right? And if right. you think everything's a conspiracy and then... You know, we can create damage and other dangers in our country. And we've seen that in recent times, you know, with the vaccines, with uh, Donald Trump. And, you know, it's the deep state. He doesn't give any other evidence besides the deep state, you know, claims that the election was stolen. It's, it can be very corrosive, so you have to be careful. And, and in my mind, I want to see evidence before I say there's a possible conspiracy. Well, I've seen that with 9 11. And I would encourage others not to go into conspiracies without asking for real evidence, not to buy into it. Well, this is my position on it for me. I mean, I'm so involved here with AE that, like, obviously I'm going to have personal opinions about other things. It's impossible sure. to be a human being and not, you know. 
you know what's going on in the news and, and you follow it. But it's like there's those other things that maybe I would sympathize with or whatever. Those things can happen without me. There's already people out there doing that work. Right, but, uh, but um, the things like QAnon, I don't want to my, – my point is it's sort of like if you're a detective trying to solve a murder, you're not going to go along with some flim-flam, somebody trying to frame somebody, Right. The detective has an obligation to see through a frame also, as well as trying to, to find oh, evidence absolutely. for a legitimate murder. Same thing with a prosecutor. That's that's all I'm saying. So I don't wanna I don't wanna just broad brush blame the government. I, I try to be careful with that. And even more so lately because we can do damage. Now I'm not saying we shouldn't go after the criminals that 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 committed the, the atrocities on 9-11, we certainly should. But we have to be careful with a broad brush just blaming the government as a whole. So right. I want the criminals, I want our government to reinvestigate this. That's what we want done. Yeah, absolutely. That's I mean, what we're asking for, right? When we, when we see obfuscation from NIST, you know, it becomes easy to say, you know. The well, US it's easy to start saying that. That's right. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very, yeah, it's a simple thing to say in the moment. But, yeah, you do want to be careful because, you know, we have individuals out there who, uh, you know, and each individual is good or bad. And there's probably good people that work at NIST who have no clue. I mean, Peter Ketchum came forward right. years later. Right. Yeah, he didn't know well, about it once. Once he looked into it, he said, there's a problem here. And he right. was right near people that were doing that work or somebody was, you know, I had heard that. You know, a lot of people think there was a conspiracy behind John Kennedy's murder. I tend to also in that particular case. Um, you know, he has a gigantic hole in the back of his head. It goes back to the left. And the story's telling us he shot from the right rear. But, you know, the the uh, there were people that didn't know about that. They just didn't know. Peter Ketchum was the same. I heard heard what I was trying to think of. I had heard that Jagger Hoover actually planted certain people in certain positions before that went down. Now that's how this kind of thing would be done. Okay, if some certain people were planted in this and the others around them just assumed it was, they were on the up and up, how would they know? They wouldn't know necessarily. So that's you know, how there's an aspect of it too. Like I remember I worked for an insurance company um, I just did customer service, uh, so I just reported what <laughs> what people uh, what they were got their settlements on the phone. But during the training and on the first day, they made this big point of saying about how uh, there was a lot of people who had the, this company's insurance. I won't say the name. Um, who were killed on September 11th, and even though their life insurance policies were not. Uh, you know, didn't cover acts of terrorism. They paid it because, quote, it was the right thing to do. Now, with my kind of more cynical mind, I'm thinking, well, because, you know, you'd have been murdered in a PR aspect oh, if you, uh, you know, didn't pay this. It would have been horrible. So there's people who say, why didn't the insurance companies uh, question about controlled demolition? I mean, could you imagine if they came out and started questioning the story? Uh, yeah, I wonder that sometimes. Why don't they? But, the, well, you know, possible. A CEO would have been slaughtered for doing that. And there well, probably why, would have been somebody. That's why exactly. they it. it's better to just, it was better to just let it go because it's too big. I had, I had colleagues when I brought this up back in 2008 and nine, that were saying to me, it's just too big. 
Okay, they didn't disagree with what I was saying. They just said it's too big. And pragmatically or practically, they're right in a lot of ways. Okay, I mean, we're talking about an issue. We're not wrong, uh, but it is a big thing. And to, 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 you'd be sticking your neck, you'd be sacrificing yourself at the altar at CEO at that insurance company. You'd probably be out of a job very quickly. Right. So that plays into it too. That plays into it as well. You got people who are just protecting themselves and say, "Hey, look, this is too big. My involvement and uh, me, me losing my job is not uh, going to do anything about it anyway. I'm just going to stay quiet." I, I want to get to this point right. because you made this in the extended interview that we just released, um, and it was on—I can't remember if it was the North or the South Tower—but you made a point about how two corners. Uh, well, it was the North Tower. It was North Tower, and actually, actually, it was the southwest and the northeast corner. And okay. The building, the, the Twin Towers are 209 feet on a side up to the seventh floor, and then they transitioned from 19 bigger columns, like three-foot square columns, to um, three. Each one of those transitioned to three 14-inch columns and 57 aside, and it went in a foot. So it was 207 foot square. So if you take the diagonal, that is about 292 feet. So the diagonal corners, and you can measure this, start to drop in the North Tower within seven tenths of a second each other. Now, if anybody believes that a fire could be that efficient, I think I said it that way in that film clip, to, 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 disturb and, and, and upset the, the structure of those columns that quickly, over 292 feet, you know, four sides of 207 feet aside, um, you know, I'd like to see it done naturally, just, I just don't believe it can be done. They fall within less than a second, those diagonal corners, that building starts coming down. That, is, that, that kind of precision and symmetry is hard to do with something as random as a fire because the fire is not all over the building all at the same time this is an hour the north tower is hit at 846 this is an this is a 1028 what's that 28 and and uh and 74 as you're talking about uh 102 minutes later that's what it was 102 minutes after an aircraft impact so it wasn't like the fuel which Nis even had to admit was going in 10 minutes. That started the fires. But the fires weren't completely symmetric in the whole building, yet that whole thing comes down. That's another proof that it had to be. There had to be charges in the building. That yeah, I mean... This, and, and firemen thought that the collapse was too... had too much precision and too symmetric for it to be natural. Firemen, the senior firefighters said that. And fire engineers they didn't believe it either well <clears throat> obviously uh, there's a lot of there's enough people out there that do believe it or at least pretend to believe it to keep the official story alive what gets me about this is that you know you only go up to a certain point of collapse initiation and then they stop and then but everything that happened after that collapse initiation is what resulted in the deaths of people right. down below not just that but the deaths of people who uh had got cancers and other illnesses as oh yes yeah, polarization and and then the the asbestos and things like that that were released yeah 
Yeah, I mean, and so and then it, the fires, the fires in the in the in the rubble that were burning and causing it was all kind of it was a it was a toxic stew is what I've heard it described as in some ways to inhale, and that's why a lot of those people got uh, different cancers. Well, and, and that one, this fire issue is so relevant now because those people are still suffering as a result of 9-11. Had the airplanes just gone into the buildings and there was a fire and it was put out, all those people would not be sick. So the That's controlled right. demolitions of these buildings is still killing people to this day. Right, right. There's, even, there's still effects 20 years later. You're right. Exactly. So I just want to get your ideas, though, on the, on the fact that they did not go through this entire collapse. It seems like very... I mean, irresponsible is understating it. It's the best word I can come up with off the top well, of my head. Well, I think they didn't do it because it was hard to then do. And they just relied on Dr. Bazan. And I told you, he, he, he quadrupled the kinetic energy of the upper mass and upper section of the building. And then and then he underestimates the uh, absorptive energy of the columns by three times. So he, he, essentially, it's a factor of 11 to 12. Uh, and I say 11 because it's not exactly doubling the mass or, or the velocity. So it's about 11 times, which is ridiculous on its face. And he couldn't get that paper through any any honest situation. He could not get that approved. But he did. And so somebody at the American Society of, Engine of Civil Engineers is either a fool or several of them are fools. But I think more likely it's it's favoritism. Dr. Bazant was an editor. He was the chief editor at the Journal of Engineering Mechanics for a number of years. So he's a favored uh, favored guy. And that's and they were protecting him with our paper. They didn't even, you know, they don't want anybody um, challenging him. <clears throat> I imagine that in the days after September 11th, there's not even consciously necessarily, but there's opportunism going on among people who have the credentials to try to give a hypothesis on what actually happened to these buildings. Most of them are not thinking about pre-planted explosives. Um, and, well, and one was Minister Foot. Van Romero, who's an explosives expert and explosive engineer at the University of New Mexico. He said it looked like controlled demolition with charges, right. and then and then he gets grants and somebody with their hands in the uh, in the till in in the federal government put pressure on him and he backed off the story. But that's what he said initially. He said yeah. it looked like, like pre-planted charges. He said it, and it's out there that he said it, and he, he backed off it. And, you know, sort of got mealy mouth, and I think they somebody threatened his livelihood. Well, who knows? But, you know, I mean, Bazan came well, up with pretty quick. And and I imagine like he, he got it out there and NIST adopted it. And now there's something for him to defend here. Even well, Dr. Bazan, Dr. Bazan, I don't I don't know. Uh, he, he simply won't come clean on this. He's totally wrong. He won't come clean. And uh, I know he had done work for intelligence agencies before. And I'm not saying all intelligence agencies are bad either. But there are some actors within those and other places that know how to put pressure on certain people. I don't know if I, if Doctor somebody has something on Doctor Bazant. That may be true. You know, J. Edgar Hoover, they say, had something on a lot of people. He kept records 
they said when he died, there was a scramble. He had a room full of file cabinets, full of, if not outright uh, material that could really be used. But it was either bad, could it even be embarrassing material? Okay, but Jagger Hoover apparently used FBI agents to get embarrassing or or uh, disparaging information on on people. And that, that may be true here. I mean, this happens with some politicians. You know, Richard Nixon said something a long time ago. When you get a man by you know what's, you know, he'll generally do what you want. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, the, the whole history of politics to ancient times has been dirty. And, uh, there's always dirt in it. There's okay. always been dirt, right. And, 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 there's, there's more capabilities to do more now with the internet and with uh, you know all the surveillance and stuff. And if the wrong people get their hands on other people's information, that's why it shouldn't be out there. Um, who knows what they're going to do with it? Now, I want to ask you though, because you are an engineer, and I probably have asked you this on previous shows, but the the, the answer can change possibly with uh, you know new experiences and such. When you talk to people about this, and I don't mean just people, but I'm talking about other engineers, peers, what? In a, in a not a debate session uh, setting, you know, like not when you're debating it, but you're just talking right. to. Well, I can give what? you. I can give you a good. Uh, I have a good sample or example of that that where people didn't know where I work. They don't know. Everybody doesn't know that I work. You know, it's just not that well known. So I'm really not. I'm well known to some segment of society, but you know, the people I work with, I'm just a colleague and. Uh, Dr. Ostene was on this past because it was the 20th anniversary. And uh, for professional engineers, they have these professional, a lot of states require professional development hours, and they have webinars. In a lot of places, companies like mine, it's a lunchtime, bring your lunch type thing, and you get your professional company, you know, you use a conference room and then you watch the webinar. And Dr. Ostene, who was famous for having, you know, looked at the steel and talked about seeing things melting like Salvador Dali paintings melted steel. But he turned, he said it couldn't be a controlled demolition. And he denied all that. Well, he was on. And some uh, senior people, one guy's a Navy commander, a 77-year-old Navy commander, still working part-time and others. They didn't like the fact that he just, and he, he, he uh, Denigrated architects and engineers 9-11 truth said some are good people, but they're wrong. And they didn't like us, what us and they did, they said he didn't provide any analysis. They were looking for analysis, and he didn't provide any. And I would think he can't provide any analysis. Because when you do the analysis, it shows they had to be controlled demolitions. I'm not saying it because I want to. I'd rather not say that. I wish I didn't have to say that. I have to say because that's true. The science well, says it's it had to be. Well, I've been dealing with a, a lot of engineers, not necessarily ones that are at AE 911 Truth uh, lately, and I find that when I talk to them, they're interested in the topic, but then other forces come in and, uh, and oh. the kibosh and what we're what we want yeah, to do. Sure. So, I mean, do you, think struggle, you, Andy, you can't. It can't be. It can't be too forceful. It's because it, you know it is big. 
what I'm talking about is a political issue. Your average rank and file engineer, I mean, most of them will say, yeah, I want to go listen to a presentation on this topic, um, you know, come over and, and talk about it or send one of your engineers over. And then something happens along the chain where, you know, the bigger bodies come in and just stop the entire thing. And I'm just thinking if it wasn't for these big organizations existing here, most engineers would be interested in this well, topic. Well, they don't want to stick their neck out. They don't want to stick their neck out alone, and that's it's that's the divide and conquer principle. And you saw that with the uh, I think Richard Gage made a little bit of a mistake in all the energy he put into in the uh, uh, what's the Institute for Architects, the AIA. AIA. When, when you know you were with me, I came over to see you guys in Philadelphia. I guess it was 2015, and you were there. Yep. And you know there there was a lot of energy put into that. Well, they 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 weren't going to do it because they don't want to stick their neck out as a lone group. I mean, there's a chance, maybe a half a percent or one percent chance that once they do it, somebody else would. But sometimes everybody else will say, "Well, all right, you did it. That's good." <laughs> but then they don't, and you're left there holding the bag. So that's part of it. There's pressure from. You know, you saw what happened with Spike Lee last last September. He yeah. just going to just show something about this, and he got told it's being debunked thousands of times over. Well, actually, it hasn't been debunked. What we're saying, can you give us evidence of this? As for instance, Zednik Bazant can't come back with a reply to us to our discussion paper. Therefore, they have censored it mm -hmm. because he can't. You can only debunk something where it's off the rails. The things decelerating downward naturally at 4Gs. That can't happen. You have to have a rocket motor on the top of the South Tower <laughs> to drive it down at 4Gs. It's silly on its face. So yeah. it's that kind of thing. It's like a straw man was set up for Dr. Bazan. But he wouldn't, and when there was a real legitimate analysis critiquing him and showing he was wrong, they would not publish it. Well, and they, and they know that the only media that's going to cover a story like that, <clears throat> you know, regarding the fact that the, this guy's get, been wrong on so many uh, points here, is, is this show. You know, this show the and show others. Like, you know, shows, that's right. You're yeah. exactly right. I mean, that's why there's a place for you right now. I think you're a talented guy and can do other things. But this is needed to some degree because it's reality. And we shouldn't let go of something that. You know, 9-11 still referred to, um, and, and it always bothered me when I would hear politicians say, we're going to keep you safe, when when some of those people did not investigate 9-11 properly. You want to keep us safe. Tell us what really happened on 9-11. Get the guys that put charges in those buildings. And it wasn't the people flying the airplanes that did that. So exactly. Well, you know, it reminds me of back on back on C-SPAN when we were doing that whole thing, and I cannot remember right. this congressman's name, but he was in California. Um, kind of Adam Schiff. No, it wasn't Adam Schiff. No, it was another oh, guy. Hunter? In, Duncan Hunter. It might be it. I don't remember. Uh, guy? He, he got he got booted out for some kind of scandal. Yeah, yeah he, he was using his campaign funds for luxury uh, vacations. Duncan okay. Hunter. 
Yeah, and so he you know he, he says, was a nasty guy. He says with the surety when the caller asked him about uh, Building Seven, probably uh, you know those towers were brought down by Islamic extremists, and that's what all the the reports show. And then the host, actually, to my surprise, says, "Did you read the reports by the committee?" Said, "No, I said, no. You're, and you're, but you're sure of their findings?" Says, "Yeah, yeah. I watched that. I saw that. Yeah, that was yeah, funny." I mean, it is funny. It's funny, but it's a tragic issue. So I feel oh, it's tragic. No, it's funny in the sense that it was, it's, it's ridiculous. It's that he ridiculous. said that, and the host showed what was funny is the host, and you got to give some kudos to the host for asking. Well, the, I think it was Peter, the same guy that interviewed Richard Gates. No, it was Greta Bronner who asked him. I remember oh, Greta. Was oh, okay, Greta was. She on. was the coolest. She was the coolest yeah. of them all. Right, she was good. <laughs> At any rate, yeah, she asked him to read it for the say no. But he still says, "Oh, it's that's just that's a fake story." He says, "So as he would like, he would know the guy is absolute is not, actually he's a criminal. Duncan Hunter is a criminal. Okay, mm-hmm. he's going to tell us that you're that you're lying, even though he didn't read the report. It's ridiculous on its face. And we're dealing with some people like that. There's also a lot of people who don't know where they believe it's just too big, and it is a divide and conquer thing without having." Mainstream media, you're probably not going to get too far. That's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. So that's what, you know, there's some control. There has to be some control of the media because this should be in the media. It was surprising that Gerardo Rivera had us on. However, I think the reason he had Bob McElwain and I on back in November 2010 is that was shortly after the families of victims, 9-11 victims, um, put a commercial on all over New York TV about Building 7. And mm-hmm. it's obvious on its face that it's a controlled demolition when it comes down, even with the horizon, and it's in free fall, and they were saying that. Barato had shown there's a Bruder film in March of 1975 where, that showed John F. Kennedy's head going back and to the left when we were being told he shot from the right rear. So I think Gerardo says, well, I broke this Bruder film. Maybe I could break this. So he had us on. But then the story died. Nobody picked it up. Yep. Well, we're not going to let the story die here. And we are at the end of the hour. So, Tony, it's always fun talking to you either on the show. It went by pretty quick, Andy. I'm surprised. Yeah. Yeah. No, it always does for me, too. Um, But thank you so much for the work you've done, for stepping forward and appearing in these documentaries. And, of course, for coming on the show tonight. Right. I can say with the video now, you look great. You really well, do. Thank you look you. great. So I couldn't All say right. that on just the radio, right? I well, couldn't tell you. Thirty dollars for black curtains. That's what that'll do right there. <laughs> Is that right? Thirty dollars at Walmart. I'm so, so thank you very much. Okay. Nice being here. See you now. All right, so that's the end of another show. Remember, we want to hear your ideas and your suggestions. So if you have them. Just go to 911freefall.com. There's a contact box right on that page. But for my part, I'm Andy Steele, saying I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. This program is on every Thursday night on No Lies Radio at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Pacific, and every other Sunday night on BBS Radio at 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. You can also keep track of the archives by going to 911freefall.com. This is Andy Steele, saying have a great week. Good luck. Thank you.